0: So, join me now for another empowering chat. So, everybody, I <laughs> I get to have this amazing conversation with this beautiful woman that um, I'm looking at, and we have we have connections we didn't really know about until we got on to record this show. So, I'm so grateful for the heart connection. I'm grateful for the spiritual connection, and um, and. And I'm really grateful for this book that this woman wrote and all the work that she does. The book is called A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste, The Art of Transforming the Tragic into Magic. I want to welcome Kelly Sullivan Walden. Kelly, thank you for joining me.
1: Susan, thank you so much for having me, soul sister that I am just getting a chance to meet for the first time in this lifetime. Right. Honored to be with you. So I I
0: told you before we recorded, the the thing that caught me was the title, A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. And it made me laugh. And there's so much in your book that uh, while you're very uh, transparent about life experiences and things like that, the way you write is so wonderful and luscious and juicy as you're telling your stories. Um, I so appreciate that, and and there's lots of humor. <laughs> there's lots of humor in the way you you uh, see the world. It looks like so. Uh, thank you for that. So, uh, tell a little bit about yourself, Kelly, uh, and what brought you to write this particular book.
1: Yeah. Well, I think I I just think what kind of hearkening back to what you just said, being human is very funny. It's kind of a funny proposition, I'm mean, the notion that we are these celestial divine beings that go to the bathroom all day long <laughs> and we have to figure out, you know, we're the light of the world and we have to figure out how to pay the light bill. And it's it's so it's awkward and clunky being human. It just mm. is. And it's like that for all of us. Um I think. The, there's so many different things that conspired for me to write this book. One one of them was it was around New Year's several years ago when I was walking through I, I live on a hiking trail and and I was kind of setting my intention for the new year and and I there's like a list of all the books that I wanted to write and oracle decks I wanted to write and and I'm excited about that, but I was like, God, what do you want me to write? I don't want to just spin my wheels. I don't want to just write for, for the, I mean, there's a million things I'm inspired and excited about that I could spend 10 hundred lifetimes writing, but not, not like I wanted to be fatalistic, but if this was going to be my last book, Mm. the one that really mattered, let me just get to that. Let me just fast forward to that place where I'm just, what would be of most, the most service? And actually what came through was the The stripped book, the book about the worst year of my life, which I mm. reference in the beginning of this book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, oh. okay, well, first I needed to write it for myself. I needed to write about my worst year myself, whether it would ever be for public consumption at some point, I don't know. And I did write a 400-page book about that first year, so I did it. And it took me almost five years, so four and a half years. And around... Once I feel like I, I exercised that and got it all out exactly the way I wanted it to be said. So I, at least, even if I didn't want to share it with anybody else in the world, at least in the process of writing, I had come to love this part of me that I had hated and been so deeply ashamed of for decades I mean, I'm 54 now, and I was writing about when I was 21 years old, and I spent a year as a stripper. And it was, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that. I was, you know, a, a good girl from a good, good, well enough, good family. Um, and Um, My dad was a police chief, for God's sakes, Irish, Catholic, we all went to church. And then there I was, you know, having this kind of secret life. And so writing about it brought it more into... This it made it so it was less of a a part of me that lived in the closet. It it started to live more in my heart. And then I started to share that story with other people. And then I just started to while I was on a roll, kind of uncovering shame, there was a lot more shame that didn't just live in that one year. Turns out I've had a lot of shame, a lot of moments that were cringy and and awful and embarrassing, and that I I just heard it said somebody said if If we admit our fault or admit what we're ashamed of, it's as if we're afraid we will cede our little territory that we we stand on or that we live on. Like we'll be kicked off the, the island if we admit these things. So I feel like just in the process of writing all these stories, it was as if I was tempting fate. Like if I write about this, am I gonna get struck by lightning? Are people going to start dropping like flies because they don't like me? I get uninvited. If I start to share this with a small group of people, will will the worst thing happen to me? And it turns out the exact opposite. As I started to share these stories that I write about in A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste and even Stripped. (laughs) The subtitle of that book is Dancing with My Demons in the City of Angels. That will come out one day, maybe. (laughs) I love that subtitle. (laughs) But, But I found that People started then confessing their stories to me, their, their stories that they had never shared with a soul. And I was already a spiritual counselor and people were already telling me, like I was already living in a deep place with clients and with my dear friends, but it seems, it just seemed like it turned up the nozzle, turned up everything 10 times. And, and it just feels like now, now that this book is out and it's been a process of like, I can't believe this is out. Oh my God. (laughs) But little by little, I'm just finding everything I want out of life is about depth, intimacy, connection. And in sharing these stories, that's what I'm getting in spades. It's kind of like the best kept secret is to not keep secrets (laughs) and to, to, we're as sick as our secrets. So why do we tell them? So that kind of basically that brings me to you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Uh, so, and that's, I love the best kept secret is to not keep secrets. And, and mo- a lot of us have hold secrets that actually we don't even recognize that we're holding, right? Because we are afraid yeah. of being transparent. Yeah. And, and being vulnerable, like you said, you want to live depth and intimacy and connection. Well, that takes a lot of willingness to be vulnerable. And, uh. And, and I've in my uh, experience, I came to a place where I've found being vulnerable and transparent gives me more life, you know, makes yes. life more accessible and juicier, and creates that connection because if I'm willing to tell on myself,
1: yeah. then
0: other people are willing to share, right that their secret.
1: Right. And it's it can be a little slippery because I, at this moment, and I'm sure I'll see things differently at some point down the line, but right now I'm sort of seeing the world and like we could divide the human race into two categories. There's the people that are very willing to talk about their vulnerabilities and their pain. And in fact, wear it on their sleeve, let their pain enter the room before they do. And they are their story. And there are those and they get a lot of cachet from that because people feel sorry for them. People huddle around them, try to fix them. And there's a lot of kind of secondary gain, as they say in the therapeutic world from, from being sort of a victim and letting people know mm-hmm. about the victimhood. And then there's the other folks that are, that I more identify with. We're the fixers and we go together. So my identity was more like, I've got the answers. I've got the solutions. I know how to do it. I can fix you. And let's talk solutions. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about the light and and not not wanting to talk about my own insecurities, my own darkness, my own fears, my own shame. It's kind of like, oh, that I already dealt with that. I'm good. I'm fine. Let Let's work on you. How about we work on you? <laughs> let me tell you what I, let me just, let me show you what to do to fix it. So I think the goal, because we can get stuck in either place, the story I tell at the beginning of my book is not my own story, but it's the story of about the Greek goddess Persephone, mm-hmm. who is my favorite goddess who basically gets abducted as a little girl. She's the young maiden archetype. She gets abducted into Hades and, and, and forced to kind of become queen of the underworld. And then she gets kind of rescued back, back on upper earth. And she becomes the goddess, the triple goddess. She's, she becomes all three. She becomes, in, she's, she's known for her innocence. She's known for her ability to go into the darkness. And she's also known for her ability to come back out and come into the light and then go through that cycle continuously. And, and one story about it is that she's, her purpose is to help those who get stuck some get stuck in the underworld and they and she's there to get them unstuck and bring them back up to the light Ah. and then there are those who are stuck in the light that are that will not acknowledge their shadow and she's there to say let me show you a little something something let me just ha ha, like take a look at this so that because we are better people i think when we're merged when we when we can kind of follow what persephone the, the archetype of Persephone where we can embrace our dark and our light and our innocence and our wisdom all under the same roof. So, And,
0: and I would maybe suggest in our shame, right? The, yes. The yeah. I think our shame we, is, is the part the of the underground. Sticky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and, and, and that doesn't necessarily condone things, everybody, if you're listening there, yeah. you know, that doesn't necessarily, but in, but getting to where we you can face the shame, yes, kind of ha- sit down and have a conversation with the shame that that's yes. within you, and then it becomes it, it has less of a hold. That was in my experience, at least, Kelly. Oh, yeah. Sitting down with the inner shame and going, "What the hell?" and okay, let's talk about this and why, and um, and it, you know, doesn't necessarily make it all go away, but
1: it at least for me, it's less sticky. It's less dark. Right. Well, inside the theme of the be expansive, it's the notion is let's get big enough to embrace everything that comes up. Let's make room Mm -hmm. for all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my mottos that I keep coming back to is my charge is to enlarge. Mm. Not my butt, not my thighs, but the size <laughs> of my heart. <laughs> just to be clear, God. <laughs> in case you are taking me very literally, my heart. <laughs> Let me make room for all of that in the more room. So, even just recently, I just, I just gave my second public talk, like with actual people, not just Zoom, just last Sunday, and it was wow. to. A pretty, a pretty, like, I don't know, impressive group of people. So I was terrified. I was so scared. I'm even just like, Oh, okay, now what was my, what, and I'm so terrified that I, all I know, <laughs> I like, I've lost track of my thought, but
0: be oh, expansive.
1: To be expansive. Oh my God. I don't even know what I was about to say. I'm talking <laughs> about something. So on the edge, all I know is there is something about talking about this. Oh my God. All right. It'll come back. But something about, Oh, 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 here's what it was. This is it. Cause this is new. This is not like polished stuff. This is what I'm just coming to. What I noticed was under my terror was I I found myself saying to this voice of like, that was giving me all the worst things that could happen. you're going to pass out on the stage. You're going to completely freak out. You're going to run. Your, your, your dress is going to be tucked into your underwear. You're going to be, you know, they're going to be, they're they're going to, the person who invited you is going to be the I mean, just all the catastrophizing. And I heard myself say to that voice, oh, you love me. You're trying to make sure I'm okay. You love me. Oh, yeah. This is the way you love me. And I just kept saying that instead of trying to fight it, ignore it, hide it, put a blanket over it. It's like just, oh, you love me. Oh, this is what love looks like from your perspective. I see how that could work. Thank you. I'll take the love. Thank you. (sighs) And it wow. calmed it down. Wow. Yep. And it went well, I'll say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, it wasn't as good as it could have gone. So something in that.
0: Yes. And yes, it, that's that's acknowledging the the voices. The, yeah. We have lots of voices, everybody, in case you <laughs> haven't noticed. I, I have lots of voices. But um, to acknowledge those those voices instead of, running scared from them. Or, you know, in my case, I want to duke it out. Let me just, let me just, you know, let me just knock you out so you can (laughs) stop telling me what to do. That kind of voice. I got that one. Um, I think that's so fabulous that you recognized it and felt it, saw it and felt it as, as being loved, as opposed to Attacked, or because that's all it the is. Carpet pulled out.
1: Yeah, all the negative voices, even the most scathing voice that says, "You're gonna die. They're gonna hate you. You, what did you? You forgot to do that important thing. Oh my gosh, you're stupid. Ah, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. It's like underneath it is, oh, you love me. You think I'm terrific. You think I'm so good that I need to keep these things together so that I do show up well. This is It's like an overzealous parent that mm-hmm. I mean, I, I still remember my mom is like the kindest, most Mother Teresa-esque woman on the planet. And But I remember the day I was learning to ride my bike and I was riding it in the middle of the street. She's like, you're going to die. Get out the street. I was like, ah, oh, OK. Oh, God. There was a car about to come. But it was it was love that was that was having her say that and it's the same love that's underneath these the voices of shame and yes terror
0: i i so i love that you brought that up kelly and we haven't even touched the book yet we're getting to get to the book i promise everybody but i love that you brought that up because um it in what i believe and what i i i have really been focusing on especially the last few years is that it's being love and feeling love and living and moving in an atmosphere of love, and that means all of it, right? That it be that, that holding a larger container, being expansive enough that all of it can sit in this atmosphere of love that I am. Yeah, because I am that divine spark. And mm. knowing that that is the truth, not, oh, I'm love over here, but over here there's this t- shame filled child that's sitting in the corner. No, all of it is yeah. love. And when, and so when you say this is to those voices, um, that was such a profound sharing, actually, because when you say that, oh, this is how you love me, I understand and you understand really, you understand and accept that that is another way to be loved. My father, oh my gosh, my father. You would ask him, "Hey, Dad, can I um, can I drive your car?" No. Hey, Dad, can I go? Uh, you know, to the corner store? No. I mean, his, everything out of his mouth was no. Right. And I used to take it so personally, but now I yes. understand that was his way of instead of saying, "Wait a minute, let me think about that," because that's really what he was doing. The answer right. was always no. Yes. Always no. And then he'd think about it and, okay, come on, let's, let's go. I'll teach you how to drive. Okay, come on. Well, you know, yeah, go, just be home by, but the, that was his way of love because he was scared something like your mom screaming at you on the bicycle.
1: Right. something and was going to happen. Yes, and even John Gray, I interviewed him a few years ago and he was talking about how the way the male brain works is mm-hmm. the moment you throw anything at them that they're not expecting, it's like, no, I can't process this right now. It's to, it's not no to the thing. It's I can't process this in a moment. I need time to get the thought across the neuro highway that, atta- that connects one lobe of the brain to the other yeah. in order to process. So the no is just, he has a fancy word for it. I can't remember exactly, but, but I, even with my husband, I'll, I'll come in and just say anything like, Hey, want to go to a movie? Nope. And then like, and then it's like, just wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Okay. How about we do it? So the no, doesn't mean no. It's even just, "Ah, I can't handle the messages right now. Okay. Now I can, it just processed. Here's my response. Here's my response. (laughs) Right. But it is I love heard- in its own love. in a different way.
0: Right. It totally is love. So now let's talk about a crisis is a terrible thing to waste, okay? Um awesome. because it, it what we've been talking about up until now is all part of that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it all it all goes together. I mean, it's it's really kind of um it's an I would say it's an opportunistic belief system and opportunistic with like with a capital O, like the divine O, not like seedy or greedy, but it's, well, kind of greedy and maybe a little seedy. I don't know, but it's looking at life from the perspective that, that ideally, you know, if we were to really wake up, if we were to just fast forward the movie of our lives, I think we would all see, oh my God, it's all been for me and really mm-hmm. like none of it was against me. Everything, even the kid that was making fun of me in grade school, even the the person that wouldn't hire me, even the person that broke my heart, like that was a good design, a divine conspiracy to get me to wake up and to become who I am. <clears throat> so it's, and there's even, there's so many different um, actual like scientific um, there's data about, um, that this thing I write about in the introduction of the book. Not a lot of people have heard of this. Everyone's heard about PTSD, post traumatic stress disorder. But what most people don't know about is PTG, which is, I love that. Isn't it amazing? I, it's post traumatic growth. Never,
0: I had never, I, ever heard that before. And when I read that in your book, I was like, Oh, that's that. That gave me, because I have PTSD. I mean, a a, a car backfires and I'm through the ceiling up in the Mm hemispheres. But, um, but to think of it as post traumatic growth gives me hope for myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And others. Exactly. Just to know that it's there. And so what this, what the scientists discovered is that. Half the people that go through a difficult thing, like, well, PTSD is is when we have, you know, post-traumatic stress. It's when after the event, like you said, you hear the, the, the backfire and then you're right back in the pain. <clears throat> post-traumatic growth is 50% of us after going through a difficult crisis or tragedy or difficult situation, we experience tremendous growth spiritually, mentally, psychologically, we become more resilient and we come, we become a better version of mm-hmm. ourselves such yeah. that these most people interviewed would say they wouldn't want to go back and relive through it again, but they're grateful that they went through it and they wouldn't want to live without that wisdom. So this is important. I think this is a really special piece. So we, you know, the, idea, I think the goal is to is to okay let me back up a crisis is a terrible thing to have it's not just it's it sucks it just sucks to have the rug pulled out from underneath us to have difficulties i mean we're we're tender tender little beings underneath our hard shells of professionalism and toughness and all that stuff underneath that we are so vulnerable. We are so, so, so precious and so fragile. And when difficult things happen, it hurts. It is so painful, but it hurts a lot less if we know at least there's something to be gained from this. So at least let's not waste it. At least let's move toward... What can be learned from this? And my goal is for myself and for the people in my world is to to shorten the gap between when the crisis hits and when the insights and the wisdom come in. And I think we can close the gap. That, that's where the Ogle formula comes in as a way to be able to to move the process along quicker because it can take another statistic I write about in the introduction of the book is if left alone, yes, time will eventually heal us, but it might take three to nine years to recover from a debilitating loss. Right. Whereas if we participate in our growth while we're healing, then we can shorten that gap to, we could say months maybe mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. weeks and maybe mm-hmm. even days. If we do the process, somebody shared mm-hmm. with me recently that they just went through something and they did a 20 page ogle process in their journal. She said, I wanted to have my healing and I wanted it now. I didn't want to wait. So she got I love it that. by I the end that. of the 20th
0: page. Ta-da. <laughs> Ta-da. I, and I, and those, <clears throat> okay. So for everybody who's listening, Kelly in Kelly's book, she has a process called Olga. we're going to go through it uh step by step so everybody knows what it is and i love that you in every chapter you use that process because each chapter is an illustration of how you faced what the experience was and moved through it by using this ogle process and i love that your your um your goal your mission is to support others in moving that healing process into a s- shorter process because really we're, we're not here to live in our pain and our story and our problems. We're here to be expansive. We're here to live fully as us. You even use that phrase. That's one of my phrases. I uh, I want to be fully me. You said that in your book. You wanted to be fully you. I'm like, yes, I say we should all be fully us. Exactly. Sparks of the
1: divine. Yes. Yes. Full, full on. And it is is a gentle balance because... We don't want to be so quick to get to the transformation that we bypass the pain because we don't want to do that. We don't want to 20 years later, have it come around and kick us in the butt. It's we want to, we want to be able to, so we want to also not linger so long in the suffering that that becomes our identity. I, I, I know someone who went through a very, like a horrible, horrible thing and, in many ways, because she keeps kind of bringing it up because she gets the whole, she'll get an entire room to Uh come to her and hug her and, and lap her up that all like decades later, it's still the thing she shares at every, at every gathering and it works and it's, but it becomes her identity. It's now sort Uh, of her brand, her label. And we can do that. I mean, sometimes we're, it's like, oh, you're the one that was raped and you got, And you're, Oh, you were the one that got robbed. Oh, you were the one. I mean, that's what I was afraid of. I didn't want people to be like, Oh, you're the one that was a stripper for a year. There's so many other things about me, please. But you know what, whatever people will project what they, what they want to project. But if we linger in it, the longer we do, it becomes we're habit makers. So we can, we can make a habit of that suffering. So pain is necessary, the suffering and the length of that is optional. That's the part we have some control over. Sounds like Buddhism to me. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds a little, yeah. It's all a big hodgepodge of all the things.
0: Exactly. And I, I, uh, choose happy and that means moving through the suffering. That means letting go of the story. That means shifting my POV when I become the victim again, because I, I, I can loop back into that with all the work I've done. I still go back into, Oh, I feel sorry for my, you know, and then I have to put on my big girl panties and say, that's enough of that. <laughs> okay. You got to wallow, wallow for a little bit. Now that now we're done, we're going to go for a walk. So let's talk about yes. the, so Ogle, ogle
1: so Ogle, it's, um, it's a funny word. I know it's not the typical world word. It's not like faith heal, love. It's not the, a typical acronym for self-help, but I think it, as I've worked with it, it, it keeps getting stronger and stronger. So to ogle something. But, is but to... Kelly, I just
0: have to, I just have to say, it's very funny <laughs> that a woman who was a stripper for a year picks. <laughs> I'm turning the tables, people. <laughs> it's a process called ogle. I mean, it's just funny.
1: It's true. And that was lost on me. It wasn't until after I wrote, I got to the last draft of the book that somebody pointed that out. I was like, oh, that's funny (laughs) (laughs) because I'm all about when it comes to dreams, when you've got somebody chasing after you turn the table and chase after them and ask them, what's the gift you're trying to give me? The hunter, the hunted becomes the hunter. Like let's, that's what we want to do. Okay. So, my, the the artist that I work with that's done so many of my oracle decks, <clears throat> Rasuli, who you probably know because he's a, he's been around. Yeah,
0: that's a very familiar name.
1: Rasuli yeah. is a brilliant artist. He did the work on, you could see it, I don't know, I don't know if other people can see, but the Hero's Journey oracle deck and my, a bunch of my decks. Anyway, it's, he's a beautiful artist. And I was complimenting him. I said, You are such an amazing artist, Rasuli. He said, I am not an artist. I am an ogler. And like, ew. Why would you say that? And he said, I, I, "I, get off on the, on the things that everybody misses—the dust motes, the little cracks and crevices in and the walls—and the, and it's art to me." And I thought, "Wow, okay, I'm not a good painter, I'm not an artist like that, but I'd like to be an ogler of the transformational variety." So I just planted that seed. <laughs> once upon a time, <clears throat> I want to be able. So one way to not transform our circumstances is to not really look at it to just kind Mm. of go oh that was awful let's just let's just put that in the closet oh i'll deal with that later not gonna look at it not gonna look at it cancel cancel but one way to really transform is to say come to mama let me look at you let me get a good look at you what's going on here it's kind of like let's look at the wizard of oz from behind the curtain and we discover oh you're just a little man with a big God complex with a big old <laughs> bullhorn. Like, a- if we don't really look, we just think, oh, it's the almighty powerful Oz. Okay, so that's the story behind Ogle. Each letter stands for what to do when we're going through something difficult and we need a rope ladder we need something to do something this is the what to do so the oh this is about it's like a journaling prompt or it's a prompt to share with a friend or a practitioner or a therapist the o is your permission to recognize what's offensive what's offensive about what happened How does it hurt you? How does it land on you? What is, so this is the permission to just be in the, oh, oh, this sucks and be raw about it. Get it all out. Once you get it all out, then you move to the G. The G is what's good about this thing that happened. Okay, so that's
0: a turning the table thing you just.
1: Yes, so this starts to change everything.
0: And it starts
1: to create, it's, this is where the creativity starts to kick in because we might not see what's good about it. I mean, in my book, I, there's a bunch of stories. One of them is um, I jump off a cliff, land on my ass and almost die. I get attacked by bull mastiffs. I, I've lost people very close to me, including a baby I was adopting that she, she passed away that my, my dogs, my, my best friends, um, I mean, and I've been stalked and dealt with, I mean, just like, so I've kind of, I list all the things that I've gone through. And that's basically what, what shows up in the book. So there's not all of these things immediately reveal themselves as what's good about it. Like, it's not easy to see the good, but, but once you start thinking, well, maybe at the very least, this is going to teach me something. If I survive this, I'm going to become more resilient and And this is a big one. I'm going to have a deeper empathy for other people that have gone through this or who are going through this. That might seem like a small thing, but to me, that's one of the things that, that always kind of brightens me because it's like this, this is not in vain. This, this pain is not in vain. There's some, I'm going to be able to use this. I'm going to be able to help somebody else with this. So what, so it, so the question is what's good about it. And it, and we could modify the question to say, what might be good about this or what could be good in a far off galaxy? <laughs> you know, So give yourself permission to explore, you know, I'm still alive to tell the tale. Ah, there, I mean, once you start unpacking the good, it starts to really, I mean, people write pages and pages about what's good. Then you move to the L. This is taking it up to the next level. The L stands for looking glass, this is where you turn the tables on yourself. In dream work, the, the way of interpreting dreams is to look at every character as an aspect of self. Mm-hmm. So we do that in the looking glass. So whatever offended me, so for example, the the thief who stole my purse, how, have I ever been a thief? Yeah, I I did actually do a lot of shoplifting when I was little, when I was younger. So I have stolen things. And as a Bigger concept. I've, I've allowed my own negativity and own criticism to rob me of my own vitality. So how am I the thief? How am I the one that has done? Have I ever done the offensive thing? This the thing that is offending me, or have I ever wanted to? Ooh. You know, Ooh, like the person who. I mean, one of my one of the things that I get offended by a lot is when people act out their rage. And that's one of my big, like, no, no. But then when I ogle that, have I ever done that? Well, not to that degree, but have I ever wanted to? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. So there's something in that, that the looking glass that, and from a, a spiritual perspective, it's like we... When we're offended by somebody, we don't realize it, but we kind of bother them. They're over there doing this naughty, awful thing. And I'm over here in the good camp where I would never do such a thing. How dare they (laughs) on my high horse off with their head? But there's such an, there's a deeper ache that comes from that separation that we don't even realize. And it's natural to do as humans because we live in duality. But there's something in the looking glass. When I see myself in that aberrant behavior, I see that potential. Then there's, even though it's like swallowing a bitter pill, because my ego doesn't like to think I would ever do anything wrong or bad. But when I see myself in them, the magic starts to happen. It's like the snake venom starts to become anti-venom. The moment I look and see myself in that, I start to, I go from being in separate, separateness to unity. And that's where I start to notice the change. And then at that point, I'm able to move up to the E, which stands for elevate. Now that I know, I'll just kind of repeat. I've I've given myself permission to be in what's offensive. That's the O. The G looking for what's good about it. The L is the looking glass, seeing myself in it. Now I'm in a position to say, what can I do within my lane, the only lane I have any control over? How can I become a little bit better with regards to this issue. So maybe for me, instead of suppressing so much, maybe I'm going to give myself more permission to rage, but in my journal or maybe into the ear of a friend who can handle it. So I'm not holding it. Yeah, what can yeah, I yeah. do to elevate with regards to this issue? So that's okay. Wow.
0: And you, you make it sound so uh, actually simple to do, and, and I'm a big journaler. I am really big. I I I have clients when they come. I get. I give them a journal if they don't have one. Mm-hmm. We're going to start. You're going. Your homework is to start journaling stuff so you can so you can get the story out of your head. Yet get the garbage out of your head. And this is a, exactly. this is sounds like a wonderful four step process to help support you in moving through it. And I love that. I love
1: the um, looking at yourself because we don't. Oh, and that is, it separates, it's like, it separates the men from the boys or the, the, the whining victims from the goddesses. It's the, it's, you know, it really is the thing. If we can yeah. cross that little, not everybody can do it. I mean, I've talked to some people that you'd think it'd be easy for, and it's like, they, they will say, nope, I would never do that. Mm-mm. I've never been mean to anybody. Nope. I have never. It's like, well, Okay. You got well, a little work to do there, buddy. Cause we can't, yep. if we spot it, we've got it. If we see it, we be it. Even if it's just a speck. It's, it's like I was saying earlier in the interview, the admission of fault is the fear that we will seed C E D E. We will yeah. give up. We will give up our standing. It will be taken from us if we admit that we have, that we have done something wrong. And it takes, and it turns out it takes a level of trust in self and trust in the universe to admit wow. yep. that we have that, even if we're just admitting it to ourselves. But once we get, like, for, even from that Einstein perspective that, like, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically like we're either, either everything's a miracle either or nothing is. It, we're It's like, we're all in this together or we're all alone, either one. And it's like, oh, well, we're all together. We're all in this. There's only one of us here and every single bit of humanity, the best and the worst is all in me, even if it's just a tiny little speck. So there's nothing I can't relate to, even if it's just figurative. Even if I haven't lived it, I could do it. I could live that. Right. It sounds
0: this, the, this process, the ogle process you just described, it actually could be applied to nations, right? It could be applied to uh, circumstances that are going on in the world right now. If the nations Mm. could say, could I do that? And, and own, that that behaviorism is not necessarily healthy for the nation, the country, the people that live there, the blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and to look at that offensive behavior and see it within themselves, as opposed to saying, well, we're just going to, we're just going to slaughter all those people over there because they're offensive to me.
1: Well, oh my gosh, this is, this is huge. And that, I think that that would be quite the dream Because it's, it's not to say, well, I relate to this person that is, I mean, like, let's just say Putin, who's, you know, still in this big war, where is is there? Is there a little Putin in me? Have I ever declared war? Yeah, I have. I've let my ego trip get bigger than me. I thought I should have that. I, when I, you know, when I, when I, when I was addicted to shoplifting, when I was a teenager, it's like, I want that. I see it. I want it. I'm going to grab it. Like I I have a little Putin in me and it doesn't mean I want to indulge. That doesn't mean that I'm proud of that, but it means I've got it. So now what do I want to do when I see something that I don't, that isn't mine and I want to grab it anyway? What, how can I elevate that? How can I, what do I need to do in myself so that I don't get so grabby and needy? Obviously there's a lot of work to do. And that's probably the biggest human issue is to recognize, Oh wait, just like one of the spiritual songs. I, all that I need is within me Mm -hmm. to to remember that. Oh yeah. And now how do I walk? I can, now I can appreciate things, even if they're not mine and, and recognize from a quantum field perspective, it's already mine anyway so I don't need you're to right. grab it. It's like going <laughs> to my own closet and saying, ha ha, I'm going to take you sweater. And I'm going to, it's like, you're already, I already own this. Oh, okay. So, so there's, there's something we could do. I mean, yeah, I think it, it, we could scale this, this out, it would be humbling and it definitely mm-hmm. breaks a lot of What I think, I think it would take a lot of spiritual work to do to get to that place. But if Marianne Williamson becomes president, which I am vocally in in favor of, then maybe we'd be a little closer to that. Yeah,
0: there's well, and and that and you just like circled into the (laughs) the, the, people that are unwilling to look at themselves, you know, and that's a lot of people that are uh, in politics you know, because they're not owning their, their shit. So anyway, well, it's
1: so true because there's a, you know, there, there's, mm, there's so much to say here because for me in my world, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own private business. So if people started to hate me because I put out what was in my book, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the most devastating thing. I mean, it would be devastating to my ego for sure, but, I'm not in a political office. Right. So I I recognize that people in politics, until politics change, where we can just be more transparent and where transparency is the new cool, which I think that is where we're headed. Because, I mean, nowadays with technology, we can find out anything we want to find out anyway. I mean, it's harder to keep a secret. So we might as well out the secrets on our on our own and tell it right. our way as as opposed to waiting for somebody else to do it so that we can be more transparent. I think this is where we're headed. I think this is a sign of the times and we just need more templates and more more support. I needed that. Every person I know that is living this way to me I am I am so grateful for them for pioneering this and I feel like I'm not the I'm not the first to step into this field like this, but got it and it's terrifying until yeah, we realize, yeah, yeah. you know, like, like your ringtone, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger.
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. Got me through my divorce. That ringtone. <sighs> yep. Yep. So Kelly, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for this beautiful, amazing conversation. Thank you for ogle, ogle, ogling me, <laughs> explaining it to me. Um, <laughs> The book is called A Crisis is a Terrible Thing to Waste. The Art of Transforming the Tragic into Magic. Kelly Sullivan Walden. Now you have a website, yes?
1: Yep. It's my name, kellysullivanwalden.com Walden.com. And if .com. it's too hard for people to spell, they can go to I had the strangest dream.com.
0: Okay. It's still long, and but we'll a little easier the, to spell. <laughs> in the in the show notes. Great. Um and I'd recommend this book it, because uh as as you got to witness Kelly's a great at bringing the humor into places that are uncomfortable and kind of dark and th- the way she tells her story is really 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 cool and and <laughs> okay hold on I'm just going to end it with reading some of the uh Oh gosh. I'm giggling. I'm giggling <laughs> reading some of the chapter, uh, oh. the chapter titles.
1: Okay. Oh my
0: goodness. <laughs> you can't plug in here. Ah, oh, bite me. And, and then there's the, um, the hippie and the hypocrite. You got infinite pie. She speaks whale. My ass is on the line. Okay. So right there, <laughs> you, you, you get her sense of humor and yet it's The book is a really great, um, well, template on how to move through uh, your post-traumatic stress, learn to grow, learn to elevate, learn to be fully you. So, Kelly, thanks for joining me today. And thank you for all the amazing work. I'm going to check out your Oracle cards, too. Can't wait to look at them. So I'm just going to end with, and so it is. You can also contact me through the website at susan at susan That's it for today. See you next time.